The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like. Come join us in the chat. We love interacting with you. Uh, Having you join us for this episode as a Monday. So, of course, we'll be hitting our upon further review. Some of the topics, some of the stories, some of the teams that weren't able to make it into the instant reaction show. Uh, We've got some notes on USC, UCLA, Arkansas, Florida State, Syracuse, Ole Miss, Miami, and more. Uh, Other headlines from across college football as well. But we begin with a coaching carousel in September, which is now becoming more and more popular throughout college football. Those of you who saw the emergency reaction podcast, Bud joined to break down some of Herm Edwards out at Arizona State. We'll get to Nebraska and maybe some hot seat situations when we talk about who could be next. Danny, want to throw it to you first, then your guy. You know, like we've, this has been uh, an experiment, right? You know, Ray Anderson goes to make the hire. You know, we're going to be implementing uh, a certain type of scouting, a certain type of recruiting, but then the NCAA uh, issues pop up. You've got assistant coaches that end up uh, taking the ax because of that. After a one and two start for uh, the Sun Devils, they decide to move on from Herm Edwards. Uh, your thoughts on the, the timing of the news and uh, the firing itself. So, did you guys see the video of them meeting on the field after? Do you think he was fired on the field? That's the that is the popular uh, yeah. discussion because it is all the power players, right? Yeah, you've got everyone who could issue a firing gathering together with Herm Edwards in that spot, and it didn't look like much of a fight that was pushed back either. It almost looked like Herm Edwards knew this was time to go. See, I hate this experiment because I don't think it was complete. Like, I, you know, if you do. You know, if you go back to your, I had to take organic chemistry. So I had a chem lab. So I had to do a lot of these when I was back in college. And, you know, there's got to be controlled versus non-controlled. Like I just felt like this experiment got blown up because of what you mentioned, because of the NCAA investigation, because of the issues. I thought it was working better than anybody would have thought, but it's a talent acquisition business. And when you're people that are acquiring the talent get in trouble and you have to ship them packing. I think that's supposed some significant problems for Herm there. I I'm bummed for him, but I think it was pretty obvious. I mean, most of these are very obvious situations like it was with Scott Frost. It's just like, Oh yeah, it has to, it's that time. And like I said, I think Herm Edwards thought it was time too. I, 
you know, he'll probably go back to the TV booth and he'll be great. It's probably the last opportunity he'll get. And I'm sure he, you know, I, I think he put everything into it. But like I said, I think it just kind of got the wrench thrown into things because his entire staff was in shambles. Now, you also hear about some of the issues that were going on within that staff itself for the past few years. That probably did not help either. But it's a disaster. I, I'm looking at the entirety of the situation, wondering if this is the opportunity to clean house of everyone that's involved in this situation. I'm talking about Ray Anderson, who also hired Bobby Hurley, who has not been spectacular on the basketball side. I'm curious to know if they decide to go in a different direction there as well, because that to me would make the most sense. Like let's get a clean slate and start from scratch because I think Arizona state is a better athletic program and should be a better athletic program than they've shown so far. I don't know if he was fired on the field. I I, kind of feel like maybe they just said, Hey, we, we need to meet tomorrow morning you know, to, to discuss some things. And you probably know what, what's going to happen. I, I thought it was a terrible hire from the start, to be honest. Uh, like, like his approach was not going to work in college, that you're not going to out-scout everybody. Um, the game management was atrocious. I mean, basically, he was managing games like a 1990s NFL coach. And back in the 1990s, when, when NFL games were played with with point totals in, combined in the 30s, that kind of those kind of errors didn't hurt you as much. But Herm's nonstop field goal, uh, punting an opponent territory, was really good at creating a bunch of close losses. He was like Jimbo's approach on steroids, and it was just uh, – it was not going to work. Rarely had an effective offense. Uh, and then, obviously, they uh, – regardless of what you think of the COVID rules, back in – like when they were r- running recruits in the building, other teams weren't doing that, to my knowledge. Now, I think other programs had kids on campus or like off campus, but they were putting their compliance people and all the people that don't make millions of bucks – in real jeopardy of getting fired because they were having recruits in the building, allegedly. That That's kind of a crappy thing to do. So I I think it was a bad hire from the start. I don't know why in the world you would let Ray Anderson make another hire here. He was a successful agent, but as an AD, he's been a disaster. Uh, I, yeah, that and you know what? It was a major missed opportunity because Arizona was a dumpster fire and you basically let them rebuild and now they have a head start on you. Should Arizona State football be better? Because I don't think that's certain. I think that people look at the market and I think that people think about the idea of, you know, Tempe and the school has this, you know, incredible sort of vibe around it. People talk about how great it is to go there. And, you know, we've we all know people who've gone to Arizona State and speak very highly about the situation. But when we look at the like basically since the move out of the WAC into the Pac-10 slash Pac-12, there are only three conference championships, 1986, 1996, and 2007. Even within the context of the Pac-12, Pac-10, Pac-12, not even just all of college football, it's it's not a championship-winning program. They, they pop, and they have really interesting players. They have really interesting coaches and teams. But I, I think that this is a place where I don't know what the expectations are within the administration or within the school in terms of who we're trying to go hire. But I wonder if this is a case of we all look at it and like, man, Arizona State should be better. I mean, how awesome would it be? How Why can't you recruit to Arizona State? But historical precedent says that this is a middle-of-the-road kind of Pac-12 team. And I where that ends up with the candidates as we sort of spin this forward, I think it might tell us some of that as well because you can – throw out the names that are popping up all the time. You know, you can get your uh, Tom Herman is with CBS Sports Network right now. He would be able to come in and we, he wouldn't have to leave another job. Um, you know, you've got on ESPN, Dan Mullen would be ready to go right now. I mean, are you are, are you sure that they, are they going to be attracted to this job? I, I think it's interesting to see what happens at Arizona State because it might inform us in terms of what their expectations are for this football program moving forward. I think that they should be better than they are or than they have been. Like the, the end of the Todd Graham era did not you know, end very well, as it seems like it doesn't anywhere he goes. Obviously, the, the Herm era was a dumpster fire and, and just amateur hour almost throughout. Uh, but a lot of families, particularly low-income families, are fleeing California as home prices and taxes are nuts. And if you look at the recruiting trends, High school football in Arizona is a lot better than it was 10 or 20 years ago. There's a decent amount of talent in Arizona now, so I I do think they should have higher standards than they have been. I think this should be a program. 
I think it's it should be a sexier Iowa or Wisconsin. And you should be able to get better talent in those programs. When I say those programs, like they win, they get nine, 10 wins, you know, occasionally. And you've seen that, you know, a nine and 10 win season mixed in throughout the last 20 years. You mentioned some of the success going way back to the Rose Bowl championship with my guy, Jake Plummer. But I think not only do you have, so you got great weather. I know it gets hot, but it's sunny. You have, I think you've got access to both Texas and California where you are. It's not crazy far. And then in your own backyard, you do have some better talent that's out there. So I think this should be a program that's similar to Iowa or Wisconsin, should be seven to eight wins most seasons. And then you mix in a nine or a 10 win season if you get something special. You know, if you get a, a defense that has some game record, you have a quarterback comes in, make a, uh, makes a difference. And to your point, I think this job, the one thing that's massive unknown right now is where is the where is this team going to be playing? In what conference? Yep. You know, and that's a massive unknown that I think would give a lot of people hesitancy. Like, well, are we are we playing in the Pac 12? Are we joining the Big 12? Because if it joins the Big 12, I think that makes it a lot more attractive pretty quickly. And I think there's one massive reason it's attractive to a lot of those coaches you mentioned, the quality of life, living. You know, in a major metropolis where you have good airports, you can like your wife and family will be happy because there's great, you know, it's a big, it's a great spot. So I think it is attractive from quality of life standpoint for a lot of coaches that may not consider it from a competitive standpoint, like, oh, can I win a national championship? They might sacrifice, well, man, let me go see if I can win here, get to those eight or nine, 10 win seasons, and I could have a really nice life doing it at this place. The only real question I would have there is, what are the sanctions going to be, right? Because the NCAA is still figuring this out. And, and maybe the NCAA's enforcement arm is just, just going to be totally neutered and there won't be any sanctions. Perhaps getting rid of the AD if they do, which, I mean, at this point, what are you doing if you don't? Uh, and and Herm will help to mitigate some of that. I'm, I'm not really sure. It could. Uh, and then how much money are they going to have to pay? Remember, Arizona State uh, was kind of freaking out that they didn't have a collective up and running to compete with the other programs, even in the Pac-12, which doesn't buy recruits the same way that the SEC or some of the Big Ten schools do. Uh, but I think they finally have one up and running now. We, we don't really know what kind of funding you're, you're going to have there at Arizona State. So I, there are some questions, as Danny raises. I, I love that note about high school football and families leaving California and going to Arizona. That's That should lead to raised expectations uh, within the community. And that's definitely something that if I was, you know, if I'm meeting with a coach and trying to argue why you should come to Arizona State and not Nebraska and not, you know, other Power 5 job that might be open, then you I think that that's a fantastic selling point moving forward. Any, look, but but I know you uh, you did a, a good job of starting to you know hit the usuals. Um, any any particular name so early that I I can't. No one's going to source anything so early in the process. But what what would stand out? Who you're the new athletic director, Danny? Who would you try to go hire? Who would you try to go woo when you're talking about the quality of life, the golf, the airports, the shopping? the you know how far your dollars go you know how how this four or five million dollar contract is going to stretch so much farther than somebody who's getting seven or eight somewhere else who are you trying to go convince to come to Arizona State I think I probably and I I really hate these lists lately because you I've seen guys just put out like 10 names and be like oh these are great names like yeah they're great names but I do think I think Tom Herman who I think you, the more like we see what's happening at Texas had done a really nice job at Texas and may have had that thing approaching a place where they could have pushed through some adversity and broken through to another level and said they tried to go with Sark. I think he could bring you know some cachet to that program. I do think a Dan Mullen or a Tom Herman with the name brand that they've had could bring in the recruits that you're looking for could spearhead an attack. They've been at high pressure programs that are way more pressure than this and might, might bring some stability that this program needs. Only thing I'll say is offense. You cannot hire a, a you can hire a defensive coach. If he has an actual track record of allowing his offensive coordinators to play offense, you cannot take the champ or you, you cannot take the chance that you hire a must champ type. I think your entire ticket office will quit if you do that because you just made these poor people 
in the desert to sit through four years of Herm Edwards' offense, and that was terrible to watch. Mm, man, I'm just really we we pour one out today, you know, for Queen Elizabeth II and for the unders that we had on Arizona State games when we knew that Herm Edwards was going to be out there just trying to play himself a 24 to 17 NFL game. <sighs> that was a gold mine, man. It really was. It really like, was. Th- th- their, their point totals would not even would not match up to their offensive efficiency. And you had to adjust like a full field goal for for like decision negative making. negative EV head coaching decisions. Yeah. No, it's the we would we would see those like 58s out there. It's like, oh, Herm ain't <laughs> letting this game get to 58. Come on. Um it will, again, we, we will track this. We now have two. Power five jobs that are open on September 19th. So uh, we're off and running. Speaking of power five jobs that are open, Dennis Dodd was on site for Nebraska, Oklahoma, and he had a report from Lincoln that indicated that Urban Meyer, Urban Meyer, Nebraska job, Urban Meyer, Nebraska job, Urban Meyer coaching search. He was contacted as the Cornhuskers continue to determine candidates. Now, Nebraska Athletic Director Trev Alberts obviously was a a very popular figure throughout the press box and and throughout the stadium as reporters are trying to get a sense of what he's looking for. And Albert said, you're going to hear a lot of names. That's good. That means we're going to talk to a lot of people because we're going to clearly define what our values are and we're not going to hire coaches who don't believe in what we believe in. What Dennis Dodd is reporting is that it is uncertain whether Urban Meyer was, you know, the conversation was, do you want this job? Or whether the conversation was, hey, Urban Meyer, three-time national championship winning coach, who do you think would be good in this job? Of which I think it is fair to say that Urban Meyer could be a resource that Trev Alberts would reach out to. So all the spotlight, I mean, they were chanting, we want Urban uh, behind the Fox set as Urban Meyer was sitting there. I, I think we saw signs in the stadium as Nebraska was getting rolled by Oklahoma. What's our, what's our late? We, we, we have, we're not going to do Knowles to go every single week. We might do like a Nebraska. We, we need to figure out some sort of like corn related bit that we can do every single Monday. What do we make of some of the reporting and sort of the game day atmosphere that we saw from Lincoln over the weekend? I mean, I kind of said my Nebraska piece on, on, on the Saturday Night Recap show. I, I don't have much on Nebraska like today, but do we need to talk Urban Meyer? I mean, did, did, did Dennis's report say somebody from the like somebody from the AD contacted Urban Meyer, or did it just say he was contacted? Because it could also just be like a rogue booster. I, I haven't actually read the report. I, I read the tweet, which is poor. Oh, by me. What, what? Come on, bud. <laughs> I know. That's, I mean, I know. That Twitter's is like, do you, are, do you want to read this before you retweet it? I'm like, no, not really. I, yeah, I, yeah, no, this it, is because right, Urban Meyer's not going to Nebraska, so I don't really care. I, I just, you know, I, I want to make sure I, sh- I share it and support the other CBS folks. Urban Meyer was contacted by Nebraska. We don't know whether it was the athletic director, but he's been contacted by Nebraska. But what was not clear is whether Nebraska, whether Meyer specifically was asked about his interest in the job or whether they're just talking to him about the job and about the coaching search. Oh, it's clear to me that he, if he was contacted by Nebraska, he was definitely asked about his interest in the job. Now, it might have gone like, hey, Urban, yeah. you don't want you don't want this job, right? Hell no. All right, uh, who do you think might be good for this job? DK, you read it the same way? You don't yes. not ask him about his interest if you contact him, right? Like you first asked, are you sure you don't want this? Yes. And like we all thought he wouldn't want this job. <laughs> like that's pretty clear cut. I to me it does feel a lot like Tennessee when Tennessee has been cycling through coaches and wanting to get somebody that they feel like they can go get their guy. Sorry, Jordan. And then you've seen all these you know names and just one by one they're like, oh, we can't get him. Like and then it just keeps going down. I'll be really curious to see what what the final option is. Now, I do think there's some great ones and they're not that far away. Like the Matt Campbell, Lance Leipold, I think those are great options for them. And maybe maybe Leipold start to the season, all of a sudden, maybe that makes Nebraska fans aware of, okay, maybe it's not the sexiest name, but this might be the right guy for our job. That to me is what might actually happen. Like actually getting a smart, football coach and the the Bud Elliott plan of, you know, uh, get your NIL operation up and running and then just get someone who's going to be able to X's and O's player development scheme, scheme this thing up. 
that that would be uh that would be one way for success and um and we'll we'll have plenty of time to uh to keep our eye on that one as well now the way that things went down and we might get to Ole Miss here in upon further review on the other side but the 42 to nothing result had Georgia Tech fans and anybody close to that program coming out like I I I think this might be it for uh for Jeff Collins you know we were we were kind of put on alert, those of us who who have had to grind on the weekend duty on Sunday uh, on the news desk. We were like, "Hey, just a heads up! Like this, this this thing might happen today." Is Jeff Collins fired at Georgia Tech an emergency podcast worthy firing? Mm, TBD. But certainly interesting, uh, especially with the way that the move away from Paul Johnson's option-based offense, as he pledged to do when he was hired, has not worked out. Georgia Tech has not finished better than 10th in the ACC in offense in any of the past three full seasons. The offense is woeful right now. So Georgia Tech, Auburn, Louisville, which of those jobs is going to be open first? Georgia Tech. I'm going to disagree. What I think you could see Georgia Tech happen. They play UCF. Yep. This week. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I was pretty impressed with UCF. John Rice Plumley kind of fixed some of his issues. Of course, I saw him, you know, in person on the game. Uh, if they if they get beat handsomely, like and you see quit, which I do think was a question during the old Miss game, I think you could maybe see that move made. But are, who are you going to say, Auburn? Well, I, I I think the the cost of the buyout, who is doing the firing slash hiring, and who do you need to move on quickly to be able to go get, are all factors that fall into this. And I know Stephen Godfrey reported that the buyout for Collins I think drops from eleven to seven on uh, January first. On January first, right? I don't know. I don't think Georgia Tech is real flush with cash. Maybe they are, but maybe they're not. If they are, then yeah, make the move. Like you kind of owe it. Maybe you owe it to your kids to try to create a spark, but I don't really know who on that staff would would take over. I'll I'll go with Auburn because I think they have a real rough stretch coming. Uh, I I think I've had a good read on this team. That offense is garbage, and their defense does not quite have the difference makers that they thought they had entering the season. I mean, there's a chance that they lose like four out of the next five. So if you're Auburn, it's pretty clear the boosters don't like the guy anyway. You get a start on your head coaching search. That that would be my guess. But Louisville's got a lot of money too, man. And I think that recruiting class is going to fall apart if if they go on a bad run here. What I have actually looked at Louisville's upcoming schedule. They got they play, South Florida, another American. Like so, <laughs> they lost ugly to them. I and the oh, trend, if they lose that, yeah. And the trend of what's happening recently, like the more co- teams fire their coach early, like you're saying, to get in line, to get a head start on the next guy, the more pressure there is to do the same and start to get in that mix of that conversation. And I know the Brian Harson mutiny was pretty popular, but there was another school where the coach flirted around, was too honest about it, and you know talked about the job interviews. That still is a cloud that is lingering over Scott Satterfield at Louisville that I'm sure people are not forgetting. After you Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Now, the, the one good thing for Satterfield is that the next three games are games in which they're going to be uh, more than a touchdown favorite, I think. Right. So, host South Florida, they're probably 10 to 14 ish, I, I, would, I would have to think. At Boston College, I mean, BC right now is, I just, I, I feel bad for Halfley, man. He lost his quarterback last year, and this year they've already lost two linemen after graduating four to the NFL. They're, they played one kid this weekend who I didn't have on my roster. He's a walk-on. Started him at left tackle. So, like Boston College, they have a chance to go winless in the ACC. Uh, and then at Virginia, and you guys know what I think about this Virginia team. So, there's a pretty good chance Louisville goes three and zero in that stretch. Like better than I think people eyeballing it would realize if, if they don't pay close attention to some of these ACC teams. And then he's sitting at what four and two. Okay, you got Pitt, Wake. James Madison comes to town, Louisville, Clemson, NC State, and Kentucky to finish. I I think he has a pretty good shot of getting past Halloween without getting fired. Both Georgia Tech and Louisville are off on the October 15th weekend. And while you mentioned that they should be favorites, I think both of those games, both of them on the road, also present the 
you lose it and this right. thing is done. Like it is a no win situation for Louisville. Now, on the Georgia Tech side, because my answer is Georgia Tech, Mike Elko is going to get it done. It's going to be October 8th at home. Duke's going to go in there, a Duke team that is motivated and playing with great vibes against the Georgia Tech team, which might have already been checked out. So at UCF, at Pitt, then Duke at home. If Duke at home goes and gets it done in Atlanta, then when Georgia Tech returns to action the following week on a Thursday night against Virginia, I do not think Jeff Collins is the head coach. So Mm -hmm. I've got Georgia Tech that off week on October 15th probably open, and then Louisville is dangerous if at BC or at UVA goes south because then you've got two weeks to be able to resettle things uh, before you host Pitt, Wake, JMU, that run that you mentioned right there. I think. When does Auburn happen? November? What's their schedule like? Let's pull this bad boy up. No, I, I, I think Auburn happens before Halloween. They got Missouri. Uh, you got some Auburn guys on that staff who I'm sure they'd love to plug in to to get the emotional. Hey, we got we got an Auburn Tiger man. He understands this stuff. I. They got Harsin. Missouri, LSU. Then they go to Georgia. Then they go to Ole Miss. If they get two blowouts to Georgia and Ole Miss, that's probably your spot right there, don't you think? I think they fire him after they lose at home to LSU. Wow. But maybe maybe you let maybe you let him wear wear the Georgia loss, right? Yeah, and then little, you know then you try to you, you try to get like there's a lot of guys on that Auburn staff who played at Auburn. That was uh, those dudes in. Did did you see the uh, let Cadillac go out there and be the interim coach just to, right. for the good vibes? Yeah, that's uh, what I'm thinking. Yeah, CBS did the. It was cool. They had um, a breakdown of the Auburn and Penn State staff. Both are littered with former players. You know, it's just, it's a, it was a cool, cool little segment. You know, of course it got Gary all excited getting to talk about, dude, what, what do they call it? Uh, talking about dudes or remembering some guys. There was some real guy remembering going on on the broadcast where we got to run, run through the entire Penn State and Auburn staff talking about how great these old players were. Can, can we also discuss um, how, this is not Gary's fault. This is just craziness from Auburn staff. They were telling Gary that Finley uh, is really good when he plays within the structure and terrible when not. Uh, not true. Actually, the complete opposite of true. Yeah, like he was terrible within structure, and the only good plays Auburn had in the game were w- when he was scrambling around making some things happen. It, it was. It could not have been more inaccurate. Yeah, TJ Finley is better when he has to figure out things in a fire drill, and because the Auburn offensive line is bad. That's like all he was doing against Penn State when uh, when they were able to have the little amount of success that they did. Of course, none of that success happened when the field got small as the red zone woes really uh, did in the Tigers in that game. Any other, any other jobs that either from the smell test or talking to people in anyone else that or any school that we should be keeping our eye on in terms of the, uh, the real hot seat discussion, which again, seats are hotter earlier now than ever. Colorado, I think. Yeah, we got the vote of confidence from uh, (laughs) George over the weekend. So it might be it for Carl Durrell. I mean, you think about this, like, so AD Rick George did hire Durrell, but it kind of had to happen weirdly timed in the cycle because of the whole uh, Michigan State going and and plucking Mel Tucker and giving him double the money for his staff, literally. Uh, Durrell's not worked out there. Um, They... How much is it worth it to Colorado to start this search early? I would say if you're a lower rung team, and Colorado certainly is, I don't know that it makes sense to get out there super early because you're still going to have to wait to see the domino effect of what the biggest schools do. I, to me, it's just got to depend on the locker room, right? Sure. I mean, it's just you know if you if you think that this is what needs to happen to avoid the product being wholly embarrassing on the field then that that would be the reason why you and look I don't it's pretty embarrassing right now for Colorado so if if you think that that would be create a change where all of a sudden you're able to get some competitiveness from that group then uh, then I wouldn't hate it new I think there's yeah let's go bring him back there's a couple like I was just looking at jobs like if there was a keep an eye on like I don't know if it's that close to being like weekly but 
Neil Brown did have a big win, but they played Virginia Tech this week. Like if they lose that game at West Virginia, he's clearly something to keep an eye on. The other one that I'm kind of bummed about is Ken Niamatololo at Navy. Also the way that unfolded last year with the coordinator. Remember, remember they fired him and they brought him back. Like there's just something going on that's a little bit off at Navy. So that's another one. Those were some of the ones that like you feel like it might be near the end, but we'll see what happens. Coming up on the other side, it is our weekly chance to review everything that was. You know, Instant Reaction Show only has so much time, and we've got the late night slate, and we got to go back and do our rewatches on Sunday. So it is time for a pun further review. We'll get into that and more next. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. If you want to win your fantasy football league, it starts right now. The offseason is the best time to get ahead of the competition. We'll help you win your league on the Fantasy Football Today podcast, part of CBS Sports Podcast Network. Fantasy Football Today has three episodes every week following the latest news, giving you early rankings, early sleepers, breakouts, and busts. So if you're a dedicated fantasy football manager, check out the most dedicated podcast, Fantasy Football Today. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. All right, upon further review, Bud, where, where do you want to go first? Why don't you lead us off? All right, uh, do you want to just pull it and go Knowles to go? Because we, we said we were going to yeah. save it from the Saturday from the Saturday night recap. Okay. Knowles to go, Knowles to go. We got an order for two, Knowles to go. Let's go. Man, how big was that win if you're a Knowles fan? Like you, so you're down... Two starting offensive linemen for the season already in, in Bless Harris and Caden Lyles. Your bestie tackle, Fabian Lovett, doesn't even make the trip. Going to miss a couple weeks. Maybe he's back for Clemson. All right? You lose your best defensive player in Jared Verse pretty early in it, who was you know playing okay before he went down. Uh, then you lose Jordan Travis, who honestly is playing like a guy who might have an outside shot to get drafted through three games. Your backup has played literally terribly in any sort of public action that he's ever had, including like the spring game stuff. Uh, I think he had a 13% turnover worthy pass rate entering the game, which is what? Just, yeah. Insane. Right. Like if you look on PFF, it was just, yeah. And then you lose Robert Scott. So you're down three offensive linemen starters. That was, uh, I don't know if Mike Norvell is going to win a title in Tallahassee. But he's doing a hell of a job getting guys to buy in, improving the roster. If he's not the guy long term, he's the guy that sets up the guy. Like they, they really have a lot of faith in him to, to play hard. Like this team, it doesn't quit. And I, I really thought they were going to lose down a touchdown there in Louisville, and that they just took their effort level. I thought to a, a level that coming out of the half, Louisville did not match. They, they looked like they were playing harder. I think he can win a title. No, I'm not saying resources. he can. I'm just saying, like, I don't know if he will. Right. But, but Well, I'm more worried about resources that he's given. You know, are, are sure. they going to step up NIL game, all that type of stuff? And where does Florida State even end up playing? You know, are they in the ACC for like that all the side. But I thought that game was one of the more rewarding games. Like there are wins and then there are some wins, wins that just feel different. And all like we use that term signature win a lot because you beat a Clemson or you beat, you know, a, a Bama or a Georgia that to me was a Mike Norvell signature win because of the fashion with which it came. All those reasons Bud just gave, that is a signature win. And it's a sign like I've been trying to tell Florida State fans for the last two years, Mike Norvell is laying a foundation for a program and it's going to take time. You need to weed out some of the bad and you need to, to plant seeds. They're going to grow deep roots that are going to sprout sometime, hopefully sooner rather than later. And I think that was a result of the last two years because this team in years past face adversity, you clam up, you shut it down, you panic, whatever, you quit, whatever reason, it didn't work out. And Bud is 100% right. This team was on the ropes. They had every reason. They had excuses. You know, they could have easily relied on excuses and they didn't want to give you excuses. They wanted to give you effort. 
And I thought it was a signature win for Mike Norvell and hopefully the first of many more to come. But I was, you know, it's one of those ones that make you a little bit prouder of a program when they fight the way that they did. Even if they would have lost at the end, I still would have sent them the same text that I did after the game. Like, man, that was an incredible performance. What a fight. And it was awesome that they got to enjoy an actual win with it. It's one of those wins that just make, like, it's a lot more meaningful to you if you're a fan of that team. Like, I think other, other national shows probably won't talk about that, but that was because if you're a fan of that team, you follow that roster and you realize the work they've done in the transfer portal. I mean, hell, Winston Wright, the best receiver they signed, got in a car crash, hasn't even played for them yet. Like, maybe he's back midseason. Who knows how he'll play if he comes back. Uh, but the injury luck they've had so far has been really bad, and they could have rolled over. And I think in past years, maybe they would have, not necessarily under Mike, but they just kept fighting, man. That was uh, impressive. And Johnny their transfer portal, yeah. And that's the thing, like, but he wasn't a dude at Arizona State. And as a recruit, the knock on him was his hands. And in practice and in spring practice, the knock on him was his hands. The broadcast was talking like, hey, scouts are going to know about Wilson. Like, scouts know about Wilson. Scouts want to know if Wilson can catch. Scouts want to know if Wilson can get off press. Wilson has never played to his size. That night he did. He stepped up and dominated. That was impressive. And maybe that's one of those performances that kind of gives him the confidence, the belief in himself. Because yeah. you hear everybody question your hands. Like, and I think we even talked about it in their opener. Like, ah, it was a little dicey, like double catching the ball. Like, you could just tell he's thinking a lot about it. That was a monster performance. How about Tate, too? I'm always happy for a quarterback because, you know, I'm paying attention to what people are saying. The interception he threw was one of the worst interceptions you'll ever see. Like, it was just one of those head scratching, like, oh, no, this kid is in way over his head. And then all of a sudden, he just starts delivering dimes. And I thought it was a great – I thought also the offensive staff, Alex Atkins, kept calling an aggressive game and a belief in him. And I love Norvell's comments after, said, hey, we've seen the work he's been putting in practice. I never doubted that for a second we weren't going to you know, see him step up. So it was it was a phenomenal performance all around. And I guess I haven't seen the latest. I did see a Jordan Travis tweet that said I'll be, you know, good news. Good news. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully that means he's back sooner than later. Cause that my initial reaction was devastation for Jordan Travis. Like all he's been through, finally his team, he's balling out. And you're like, oh. So hopefully he gets back sooner than later because uh he has been playing as good as anybody in the ACC, I would say. And like the confidence that this team is going to bring back home, you know, Boston College coming to Tallahassee, Wake Forest now, that game in Tallahassee, when you have gone to New Orleans and you've been in that game and you somehow come out with the win and you have all those setbacks at Louisville and you still find a way to come back with the win – this it is cheesy, but like that winner's mentality is something that has not been there for Florida State. It has been everything going wrong, and that's where I just think that um, the next two weeks are just going to be so so important that Florida State be able to capitalize on it. Will Jordan Travis be there for the Wake Forest game? I I don't know, but I think it, that's the question. That's like that's the operative thing for you in terms of how the season goes because it does feel like. You know, I just mentioned Boston College, Wake Forest at home, NC State on the road, which now, you know, NC State has an awesome defense, but that offense ain't running away from anybody right now. Like that is a, a winnable game in Raleigh for Florida State and then Clemson at home on October 15th before you've got the off week. To me, 3-0 start has been fantastic, but the next three, four games are going to be what ultimately determines what kind of year this is for Mike Norvell and the Seminoles. The one you have to get is this weekend. You have to be able to beat Boston College with with Tate Rodemaker, right? Um, both these teams are banged up as hell. It is a night game in tally. It is their, not home opener, but their FBS home opener. I guarantee you, you know, team that, that is, is 3-0 now is going to be, the fans are going to be pretty jacked for that matchup, I, I would think, to come support them. You got to get that one because this team has real ceiling if everybody gets back healthy. But it also has significant downside risk if you keep getting more injuries on the offensive line. Like we talked Jordan Travis, Robert Scott could be just as important because now you lost three tackles, or excuse me, both starting tackles and, and, and your starting center. You lose one more guy, and then you're, then you're dipping into playing true freshman as, as the meat of the tough defensive lines you're going to play comes up. If you get Boston College, 
That's four. You have Louisiana the week before Florida. I feel like you get that one because this Louisiana team is a shell of its former self. And then you got to feel pretty good about being able to get one more, even if you are playing a lot of backups. So securing the floor, making a bowl game is still really important for this staff, for their recruiting. This weekend is the super important one to me. You can't you can't drop this one. No doubt. Uh, just a note, because some people were in there, and I don't want to get down a whole rabbit hole about the AP Top 25. Um, I love that they're not ranked. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. And Miami and Florida are. Like, go ahead. And this is like, if there was ever a feeling of complacency or, oh, we've arrived because we're 3-0, and you can dangle this in front of those players all day long. Nobody respects you still. They still don't think you're there. The rankings will come with more wins. But I agree with you. The only thing I'll say about momentum, it works both ways. Like you, a program like Nebraska or a program like Florida State for the last two years, you lose one of those games and all of a sudden it turns into three or four. Same way with you win a few of these games. All of a sudden you start to believe in that fourth quarter. We've done this before. We're going to come back. No biggie. So love the way the momentum is turning in the Seminoles favor. But as you mentioned, Chip, you do have to capitalize on it. Make sure it keeps going your way. So um, let's let's just go ahead and pivot there because I wanted to get in a pun for the review on Miami. We were talking about this game as it was happening. We had it on another screen. I, you know, I'm trying to maintain bandwidth over here. You know, trying to give give the best internet possible, so I wasn't streaming too much uh, as we were doing the instant reaction show. I needed Sunday uh, to be able to go back, and I found a little bit of a disconnect between what I saw on the field and what seemed kind of like a positive. It was not sunshiny, but positive spin coming from Mario Cristobal. A lot of talk about how, you know, we competed. This was a hard fought game. We were right there. You know, we just, we need to make better catches. He's not putting a lot on Tyler Van Dyke. And now I will agree that there were some drops there and the wide receivers, you know, just based on personnel alone, especially with Xavier Restrepo out, by the way, Cristobal said four to six weeks with this foot issue. Like this is, this, I, I was so, while Mario Cristobal was clearly trying to spin this as we had a chance to win late, which is true. You were down eight. You had the ball late in the game. There also seemed to be never a moment where offensively Miami was really going to threaten to be able to win this game. As we look at Miami and start to spin it forward for the Hurricanes, what kind of squad is this? And do we really... Um, credit the Miami defense for the way that it played against Texas A&M, or was that also kind of a Texas A&M thing? Nothing you could take out of Bethune-Cookman. A troublesome start against Southern Miss. They get things right in the second half. We have seen a, a real test for this Miami team. So while Mario Cristobal is trying to spin this as, I like the way we competed. I like the way we had a chance to win late. He's trying to preach that toughness, preach that toughness. What can we on the outside, uninvested in trying to, you know, preach that toughness? What can we make of this Hurricanes team as we start to look ahead? I, I I think it's the Hurricanes team that some of their fans probably feared. Right? You have Mario Cristobal doing Mario Cristobal in game decisions, sort of Herm Edwards light there, if you will. Uh, anytime I can take a two score lead and kick a field goal to cut it to a two score lead, you got to do it. However. I do think they made real progress on defense year over year. Uh, the transfer portal kids they took on that side of the ball are a lot better. They did give Texas A&M trouble all night. Like they made A&M earn it. Uh, it wasn't just pure Texas A&M incompetence. Right. So that's encouraging. If you look elsewhere in that division, uh, Pittsburgh is just losing guys left and right. So I think Miami now is probably the clear favorite in that division to me, uh, more so than they were earlier this year if they can get past that North Carolina game. Because there is a, a situation where UNC can score 40 on them and Miami's offensive incompetence just doesn't allow them to, to break like the 35 mark. So we'll have to see. But that game right there, that could be for the division. You know, they 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 host Pitt in the year. If they actually have a chance to win that, I think Miami might have a decent home crowd for once. And Pitt's not winning the battle with the war of attrition right now. You know, we, we talk about the Restrepo injury. Pitt's got a lot of guys that are down. So I still think Miami's a pretty good look to win the Coastal and, and to get to the ACC title game in Cristobal's first year. I don't think anything's changed in my mind about Miami yet. Like, 
Did anybody think coming into this game that they were going to win? I thought that game played exactly how we thought it was going to play out. I thought Van Dyke, I thought Van Dyke and his impact on this Miami offense and Josh Gaddis and his impact on this Miami offense was going to give that group. Again, we've mentioned the injury issues, wide receiver, running back all over the place, but it it is not a unit that I consider. Uh, it, it doesn't line up with being a top 20, top 25 type team. It is a group that is going to be relying on its defense to be successful and probably has a ceiling in terms of the kind of games that it can win. I mean, the offense is significantly worse than it was last year. Right. They, well, that, they, they have not gotten better under Josh Gaddis. They've gotten a lot worse. Now, well, part of that, was, I think, is losing Rambo and Harley at receiver. But I also, just something to keep an eye on. Remember the Justin Herbert years at Oregon mm-hmm. when all of a sudden it was like, where's that guy? Where's he been? Well, now we've seen a version of Tyler Van Dyke that is at at his best. So we're kind of like, you know, a lot of times the quarterback, well, it's his fault. Why why isn't this? We know what he's capable of doing. And the Josh Gaddis hire was interesting, I think, because he was awarded the assistant of the year in college football, but he had lost his play calling responsibilities to Jim Harbaugh, who took them back to being physical and he was splitting them with the offensive line Got You know, they were, it was very much more of Jim Harbaugh's offense. They were running at Michigan when they ran the table, when they got past all of that. So I, I it's just something to keep an eye on. The other thing I'll say is this, it's hard to pick up a new offense. Like I think we way too much just say, Oh, you know, Tyler Van Dyke was awesome. He's going to pick up right there where he left off. It's new terminology, it's new schemes, it's new everything, not to mention personnel at the wide receiver position. There's going to be a learning curve here too. So I'm, I look at the Hurricanes, I feel like, all right, they're exactly where I thought they would be. I do think there's some value in physically showing you can go toe-to-toe with a banger, you know, in a, a little bit more of a, a bloodbath type of game. That was impressive. This Miami team in you know, the last five years has been run all over from some more physical teams. So I thought that was a a positive that you could take out of the game, but I'm very curious to see what do they do, you know, kind of moving forward, but I still think they'll probably be around nine wins at the end of the season. And yeah, I'm with bud. They could find themselves right in there and and win the division and be playing against Clemson. Well, beating Pitt at the end of the year is going to require not being soft, right? Beating Pitt at the end of the year is going to require this toughness that Cristobal uh, is trying to preach. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day, in the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, (laughs) nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. USC was playing in the late slate, 10.30 p.m. Eastern time kickoff against Fresno State. It was a game where we saw uh, Caleb Williams continue to add to his touchdown count to passing, to running um, as he continues to become a star. The ground game kind of got moving just a little bit. I, and that was, by the way, Lincoln Riley's comments after the game, you know, that they wanted to get the rushing attack going. I am not ready to say that USC's defense did an amazing job against Fresno State, limiting them to 17 points when Jay Kaner is carted off the field in the third quarter. But but <laughs> they did hold him to 17 points. So uh, upon further review, I think that USC's place as a college football playoff contender is probably legit. I, I mean, a contender, sure. I, I think they'll lose two games. Um, so if you look at this, right. And I did my box score scouting here, but I also watched the game. They were allowing 6.6 to play to Fresno before Hainer got hurt. Like 237 buck 40 in, in the air already, already allowed a hundred rushing yards in the first half. 
Now, they did sack him quite a bit. Fresno's offensive line is kind of sneak, sneakily leaky. I'm really interested in what they do with Oregon State this week because Oregon State's got a good offensive line. Like Oregon State blocked Boise pretty well, and Boise's defensive line is better than USC's. So I'm interested. Like, does Oregon State run for like 350 and frustrate and keep that offense off the field this weekend? I'm, I'm curious. That's also a tough place to go play. But USC's offense is just dynamite, man. Like, I, mm-hmm. I'm not even sure we've seen the best of this thing yet. Assuming they can stay healthy, I did see tackle Bobby Haskins go down. That's a guy who I know there were some concerns about. They took him from Virginia. Does he have a shoulder thing? You know, Jordan, our producer, points out that the backup quarterback was 11 of 12 for a buck 40 for USC, which is also true. So, or excuse me, for, for Fresno. I'm buying more into the USC hype. I think Caleb Williams, legit contender for the Heisman Trophy. I even went out there with a take on a Sunday and said Caleb Williams is just going to win the Heisman. Yeah, let's Kind of go. for the philosophy, from the philosophy that I had when I drafted him in our draft, our Heisman draft was first time USC is back on the national stage. Even, even if they lose 10 games, they're still 10-2. and two. They're very relevant. They're in the Pac-12 championship game most likely you know, with no divisions and you're going to take the top two teams. I think they're in that conversation. Statistically, he's putting up monster numbers that will continue to grow throughout the season. I think and there's, it's going to be an interesting Heisman race, but I would say for a lot of the outside reasons that will influence voters, I think he's got an outstanding chance to do it. And I'm, I'm not there yet to say I was wrong on USC because I didn't think they had any chance to make the playoff this year. We'll see in the next couple weeks, like if they are a true playoff contender. And even if they do, I think they could be this year's version of Michigan who gets there. And then it's like, oh, they have a long way to go to be a national championship contender. But I still think they have as good a chance as a lot of schools right now to actually make the playoff. They are the beneficiary of programs that are falling short because outside. So I think that. I think that USC will enter the Pac-12 championship game playing for the Pac-12 championship with maximum one regular season loss. I just don't see as um, Arizona State has just fired Herm Edwards as Notre Dame. You know they might be better later, but they they are not uh, the intimidating threat at the end of the season that you might have thought. Colorado is a mess. Uh, UCLA struggled with South Alabama. Cal, who we also saw in that Notre Dame game. At Arizona, I mean, honestly, coming up at Corvallis and then maybe Washington State at home, like those are the last chances before a slip-up that you wouldn't be able to rectify because there's the classic, like, lose to Utah, but if you can catch them again in the Pac-12 championship game and then you beat Utah, the selection committee has shown that they will give you that you beat everybody on your schedule type bonus to almost forgive you for the loss. Now, does a Pac-12 team still get the same kind of forgiveness that Georgia did in 2017 when they were able to beat Auburn in the championship game and then make it into the college football playoff? No, there's no way you're going to get that much forgiveness. But I I think that this USC team is 11-1 and or 12-0 and when they're playing for the Pac-12 championship because I don't see anybody else on this schedule that's going to be able to score with them. I mean, I, I think UCLA can score with them. You see, this defense is terrible, but I, I think UCLA can score with these guys. I also like they're plus ten in turnover ratio right now. Guys, ask Iowa fans how that's working out, right? Turnover ratio is not necessarily it's not fully skill. Okay, there's a good a bit there's a good bit of luck in turnover ratio. Now their offense is going to score from anywhere on the field, but their defense may not get stops on those drives uh, that you know are, are not ending in turnovers. How many punts has USC forced this year, you think? I don't have the number off the top of my head. I'm just lo- looking this up. If you look at their their punt returns, it may be able to tell us. Guys, I mean, they've had a couple like goal line stops, which again, good work. Is that fully sustainable after allowing the offense to drive? Like Stanford was stopped in the red zone how many times? Three? I'm not really sure this defense is even a top half defense in college football. Ooh, okay. You think it's a top sixty-five defense? I to, the sample is so small that if you're not that if you are in that middle, I'm I I don't think that I'm ready to declare the difference between uh, twenty-five and seventy. 
I think that those could all be interchangeable. Like the really, really good ones seem to be separating themselves and the really, really bad ones are obvious. And I don't think USC's defense is really, really, really bad. And so they're they're somewhere in the middle. I'm going to lob a grenade, Nick. All right. So Georgia and Bama get to the title game undefeated. They play a reasonably close title game. I don't really care who, who wins in, in this scenario. All right. You have Ohio State wins the Big Ten with – Michigan or Penn State as a one-loss team in a you know close loss. Let's for Michigan's purposes. Let, let's give it to Michigan, right? Uh, because the game is in Ann Arbor. You know they they play them close. No, it's in Columbus. Excuse me. The game is right. Better for my case. The game being in Columbus, close road loss. Blah 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 blah. USC drops a game. Ohio State is USC's big non-conference game. Or excuse me, Notre Dame is USC's big non-conference game this year. Notre Dame is not very good. They might not make a bowl. We'll see. Does a one-loss Pac-12 champ USC get in over one-loss Bama non-champ? No. Or or one-loss Michigan non-champ? Maybe. No to Bama, maybe to Michigan. I think it depends on how they look in their loss. Like if they lost to Utah, Utah they'll throw out that Florida game as a comp. That's why I think Bama's a no. But I do think Michigan... If they lost to U- uh, Utah in a close, you know, game to field goal, I think they have a chance. Okay. Over Michigan. By the way, uh, USC. And I think they would need an impressive performance in the Pac-12 championship game. You know, like a like a member of uh, Ohio State over Wisconsin, fifty nine nothing, something like that. Emphatic exclamation point while Michigan was sitting at home. Does it help if? Wisconsin does not win the West because then Washington State's transitive win in Madison uh, is not quite as impressive. Mm. Like if Minnesota wins the West and Ohio State stomps them, does that help their case a little bit? It's like, yeah, you guys beat Wisconsin, but they didn't even win their win a terrible division this year. Yes. Yeah, Michigan's in Michigan's in over USC. You're probably right about that. And nobody's talking about Clemson. How fast, how fast is the stock price dropping on the Clemson Tigers right now? I see somebody in these streets say that six and two can win the ACC Atlanta. <laughs> I, There's still a quarterback. There's an ace in the hole in that back pocket. If Dabo decides to whip it out, it's just a matter of when. Somebody still has to block them. I know. Offense is struggling right now, man. It's a it's a sad state of affairs. It's looking looking real 2011 in the ACC right now. Looking real 2010 2011. Um, but we'll see. I mean, the as long as Clemson still has that defense, then they they are going to give themselves uh, a chance. Right, anybody else you want to highlight here before we get out of here? I got a couple. Got to pull it up. What I sent the group chat so I can remind myself here. Uh, Arkansas kind of took off that game a little bit that was we really didn't hit on that but for a minute very interesting matchup this weekend when they play AM at a neutral site so i i took a, so my my takeaways going back to it were number one as you've mentioned the injury issues in this arkansas defense and number two guess what bobby petrino is still really good at being yeah. able to scheme this up nothing meant more to bobby than trying to go in there and be impressive and i think that he he had like 30 play, plays going into it. They were like, these are going to work against Barry Odom's defense. And so I, I think it's more uh, encouraging that the Razorbacks took a situation that was looking really dicey and kind of hit the gas on them in the second half. Arkansas's offensive ceiling is going to be something that they're going to need unless because I don't think the defense is going to be the reason that Arkansas is winning football games. 100% agree. Barry Odom is going to have a tougher time running what he wants to run this year if they don't have a difference maker in the interior of the defensive line. Although I will say, Drew Sanders, uh, I know Bama's loaded that edge rusher. I get it. I mean, Anderson Turner are, are just totally insane. But Drew Sanders is a monster for Arkansas. Like, like he's a a you know redshirt freshman pass rusher who is just wrecking people, and he can cover a little bit too outside backer. You, you guys want a dude to watch? Watch what Drew Sanders does to AM this weekend. I'm, I'm excited to watch that. Um, upon further re- review, Ole Miss is a pretty good football team. In a different way than, than I think we, we thought they might be. It's defense, man. Uh, yeah. Like they took some quality defensive transfers. They had the defense together. 
And I think Georgia Tech is pretty bad. Like Georgia Tech's on quit watch for me. But Old Miss could play some defense. Different attack, though. This is the first quality offense Old Miss has faced all year. Tulsa can chuck the ball around a little bit, guys. Uh, then Tulsa's defense, not so much this year. But they can chuck it around a little bit. We'll see how, how Davis Brand does. Yeah, the um, and and as as we've mentioned, that's also a coordinator change and an influx of uh, new defensive talent from the transfer portal. So to see the Rebs, it's a it's an encouraging start so far. We'll keep our eyes on that for Tulsa. Are you buying Syracuse? I am buying Syracuse uh, as a team that's going to make me look really bad for betting their under early this year. Um, I mean, close win over over Purdue. Syracuse is clearly better than Boston College due to the injuries. Virginia, Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, and I think Duke. So that means they're more middle of the pack ACC than bottom of the pack ACC. I think they're a really good bet to go to a bowl game now, obviously, since they're 3 0. Yep. Yeah. Uh, schedule's pretty manageable. Who is their draw from, from the coastal? This year? Yeah. Let's see. This year, our Syracuse. They're one of those teams you got to type in football because otherwise you get the academic calendar, right? No, you, no, you get the football. basketball schedule. Oh, the basketball, that's right. Um, yeah. All right, you've got Pitt every single year, and Virginia is the other one. Virginia at home, and that is actually coming up this Friday. You'll have a uh, – maybe you'll have a pick on the Pot episode you're doing tomorrow. That's right. We'll be doing a special weekday lock show, an early look at Thursday and Friday's games. Those are going to be coming up. That's coming up Tuesday, uh, 11 a.m. Try to give you a little bit of a head start because, you know, we're meeting with you Thursday, 11 a.m. to give you our entire card. Sometimes that's, uh, you know, sometimes that's a little bit late in the game to try to get in those picks for Thursday and Friday. So an extra special Thursday, Friday weeknight preview show. Uh, we'll be doing that again on Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, anybody else you want to spotlight here? Uh, UCLA South Al, I thought, uh, was pretty interesting. So UCLA kind of screwed around and this one played with their food. South Al jumps out to a lead. Uh, South Al's doing something, man. Like I thought they had a pretty good defense, but Carter Bradley's playing okay for them at quarterback, and, and they, they're they live to win the West now that we've seen what, what ULL is. And I'll stick in the Sun Belt. Man, Marshall, uh, not handling success at all. 16.5-point favorites going into Bowling Green. They score two explosive touchdowns to start, 14-0. I'm like, all right, cool. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll slide that game off screen, figure I have a nice, easy cover there. And uh, turns out, nope. So shout-out to Bowling Green for getting off the mat and pulling the big upset. Uh, Marshall just didn't handle success well, man. That that's uh, not entirely surprising, but yeah, that 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 that's something that hurts Charles Huff when he tr- when he tries to get another job. Obviously, I, I think he was trying to bounce, you know, as soon as he can get an upgrade out of the Sun Belt. Uh, finally, they play Troy this weekend, and Troy lost on that hail mary, which is crazy. And we talked a little bit about this in the Saturday night show. Troy's playing good football, man. If they get Carlton Marshall back, I think Troy is the best team in the West. Right. The problem, their draw you, is App and Marshall. But I still think two losses, three, yeah, two losses in conference play is still going to be able to win the Sun Belt West. The the issue for Marshall, or what's good for Marshall is that the loss doesn't count against your conference record, obviously, because the Sun Belt East is ridiculous. App State, Coastal Carolina, James Madison, Georgia Southern, Marshall, ODU which has a win against Virginia Tech and a cover at Virginia and Georgia State, uh, though Georgia State had a very disappointing performance against Charlotte. I mean, you've got four quality teams all in that side, and Sunbelt has not ditched division, so only one of those teams will be able to go play for a conference championship. Obviously, I think that you have to consider App the favorite to do so at this point in the season, but uh, that I mean, I, I could make a weekly segment out of this weekend's Sun Belt once we get into conference play, just talking about the ins and outs of, uh, of that Sun Belt East division race. Sun Belt is the interesting division. CUSA, I feel like there's a lot of bad football being played and not a lot of good. Sun Belt, they're actually playing pretty good football. Right. Um, even the bad Sun Belt teams are not quite as bad as I thought they were going to be. You know, Georgia Southern is better than I thought they would be. Arkansas State is a little bit better. Than I thought they would be. That that's a pretty interesting league. 
we'll we'll have to put it at the back of episodes because it's yeah. not exactly the thing that's going to you know drive up the engagement. But if you stick with us long enough, we will maybe get to our Sunbelt Corner uh, every single Monday or Wednesday when we get we get into the conference season. But we will make sure to talk. Like one of the things I like about Cover Three, man, is that we don't just pander solely to the SEO stuff. Like we might, you know, if we were joking around about maybe. Uh, SEOing into the mic, uh, some key terms about maybe other international events that are going on right now, uh, just to pick up on SEO, maybe get on a smart speaker bomb. Uh, but we don't have to talk South Carolina every episode, right? We don't have to talk about these dregs of the SEC just because we know there's a lot of SEC fans out there. Like we'll talk the good SEC teams. We don't have like to talk about right. Yeah, of course. I mean, look, they're over before October, right? That's right. Uh, but like, I don't have to talk South Carolina. We don't have to talk Auburn anymore until they fire Harson. You know, I don't have to talk a lot of Mississippi State. I I like being able to talk about all the other all the other their schools out there because college football needs to be a national sport. We don't need to just hyper focus on the Southeast, and I'm, I'm glad that we don't. We listen, and we're uh, we're we're going to take this thing wherever the conversation goes, wherever it's interesting to us. You can follow him on Twitter at BudElliott3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Again, extra special Tuesday show, weeknight locks. We will be previewing all of the action from Thursday and Friday in college football. We haven't had a Thursday and Friday quite like this since the opening weekend, so we want to be sure that we celebrate it. That means we will be taking a look at all of those games, handing out some early picks and leans as well. Bud, thank you very much. See you, bud. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.